Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Starting a new series um, that's going to take us through till, well, till the weather gets cold, basically. Um, it's, it's interesting, as a Christian, um, when we come to salvation, it's all about me. It's what Christ has done for me. I am the center of, well, the universe in that moment. Because it's the gift God has given to me through Jesus. Now, the problem with a lot of us Christians is we stay with the me and forget that the next step is we, the church. We then become something, a part of something bigger than just me. You with me? We become we. It's not just me anymore. It's we. Now, it's difficult because when we talk about church, how many questions does that raise? Anyone ever thought, what is church? You know, when we talk about denominations, for example, how many of them are there? Uh, if you can read through all of that, there's quite a few of them. Does that, does that help us answer the question, what is church? What is we? What does that mean? I, I, I purposely didn't add the Catholic or Orthodox denominations, even though technically speaking they are denominations. Technically speaking, actually, Anglicans are not Protestants, so... Um, they shouldn't really be up there, should they? They stuck by the Catholics. No, just kidding. <laughs> you know all about the Reformation, how it got to a point where there really was, well, there were still two churches. There was the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. But really, in our Western world, there was the Catholic Church. And then at one point, we decided, well, we challenged it. That wasn't, I think, you know, Martin Luther was saying, this is not we. This is not, I think, God's intention for church. And he challenged it. And it sparked all sorts of crazy things happening. And and out of that branched out all these denominations. The Anglicans, on the other hand, they just stuck by Henry VIII. Anyway, I won't go there. (laughs) But what does that mean? I've had so many people come to me as a pastor and say, Oh, I I don't get you Christians. You know, you Baptists and Anglicans. Well, what is that? I mean, you're all broken up into different things. What, what is that? And my, my simple response to that is it's just different expressions of we. It's different expressions of church. You know, when it comes to the crunch, every Christian denomination, including Catholics, including Orthodox, believe the same basic premise that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. We go about it very differently, don't we? I mean, this is called a power Baptist church, isn't it? You're not going to get dispensationalist theology 
in a power Baptist church. We're not a brethren church, nor are we going to baptize infants. We're a Baptist church. For those of you who are keen on theology, you would have known what I talked about when I said dispensationalist theology. The rest of you are looking at me going, what in the world is he going on about? There are things that we do different. I've been part of four different Baptist denominations. I'm ordained in three of them. I've gone to a Baptist college. So there's no one more Baptist in this place than me. Don't know if that's a good thing, though. But, but what makes us different? Well, what is church? What does it mean? Where does that take us? How do we do it? For many people, church is what we're doing right now. Sunday morning. In fact, we invest as a church a lot into what happens just now. Just now. A sermon will take, if you do it well, 20 hours a week. Our lecturer at college used to tell us, you better get used to writing papers. Because at college, we get you to write a paper a semester. Or at church, you're going to be writing a paper a week. Five to seven pages, 3,000 words. And you better do your research well because people are going to question you. You're going to be challenged. You better know what you're saying. So that's 20 hours in that. Our worship leader, Chris, this morning, didn't just wake up this morning and thought, I'm just going to do this this morning because that's what I feel like doing. He spent a lot of time thinking it through, praying about it, getting it ready. Even Annette, when she comes to pray up front, she's just not thinking, I'll just do it off the cuff. She's been thinking about it. We spend a lot of time preparing for this moment. We've invested a lot in this moment. This church was almost specifically built, this building, for a Sunday morning. You can't take these chairs away. They're specifically built for this place. So we've invested a lot as well. Is that church? Is that what church is? I've struggled with it. I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again, because I think it's important. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian in a Pentecostal church in northwest Washington, D.C. I had no idea what denominations meant. I had no idea what Christianity really was about. All I knew was the Catholic Church. That was really all I knew. So I had no idea what denominations were or or what. The day after I became a Christian, I got on a plane and I left the States, kind of went around about way, ended up in Rome, Italy. And, and praise be to God, I walked into the right church. Because to be perfectly honest with you, it could have been the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah Witnesses for all I knew. I wouldn't have known any different. It could have been a Mormon place. I, I wouldn't have known any different. But fortunately, I walked in to a Brethren church. And boy was God looking after me, because they really got behind me. I was discipled in a way I never even knew or imagined could be. I grew so much. But coming out of a Pentecostal church, which was my experience of church, and coming into a brethren church, there were just some differences that I noticed. And I thought initially it was cultural. Oh, the Italians, they're not happy-clappy, you know, we don't, we're not into that. You know, well, it was really different. There were some things I thought really strange. And one of the things I found very strange was when it came to church service, Sunday morning church, they called it, 
All the women wore veils. Every one of them covered up. None of them talked. Some of us guys are like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> None of them talked. And, you know, the, the service, apart from you know, the Pentecostal church was cut. It was just, the music was awesome. They were just one after the other. They were fine-tuned and everything. In the Brethren Church, somebody would stand up and open up a hymn or say, let's sing from hymn number. And then we'd sing. And then somebody would get up and they would pray. It was really cool. I loved that. I felt part of something. But the women could not ask for prayer, could not pray or ask for a hymn. And I thought that was kind of weird. I thought that was strange, especially since after church, we'd spend quite a few Sundays having lunch together and the women talked. And not only did they talk, they put their husbands in the right place. They were in charge. The moment Sunday service finished, we knew who was in charge for the rest of the afternoon. Isn't that the truth? So, you know, as a young Christian, here I am, I'm 21, and I'm thinking, I'm seeing, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. But hey, I, I, I've only gotten up to Leviticus, so in the Bible, so I, I don't know what's going on really with all of this. Until one Sunday, one Sunday, in the middle of service, a young lady got up and prayed. And I can't begin to tell you, I still have the images of the people all looking up going, what? She prayed. And she did, she prayed. And no kidding, a third of the church got up and went out. The elders went into crisis mode. And there was a 21-year-old Aussie sitting in the second pew, just watching this circus going on of just mayhem. What do we do? How do we handle it? They called an emergency service that evening. How do we handle this? And they sat down, and at this meeting, this church was packed. All the youth were at the front row. They wanted to know what's going to happen next. What are they going to do to this girl? You know? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is really interesting. They're dealing with a serious issue that's changing their church, that's changing their perception of what? the Bible has been telling them for years. At the end of it, the elders decided that what this girl did was not wrong. And three families got up, and I'm not kidding you, they cursed the church and vowed never to return. Three things immediately popped into my mind. Three questions that has dogged me ever since as a Christian. First one, if they knew that there was nothing wrong with that, why did they continue to allow it? What? Why? As a new Christian walking in, I thought it was biblical what they were doing. I thought, this is what the Bible taught. Women need to keep quiet. And being the good old man that I am, I thought, hey, I'm going to find myself a wife here. Because I can tell her to be quiet. Hey, that didn't work. Oh, it's not biblical. Oh, man. But it's the truth. I came in as a new Christian. I'm thinking to myself now, hang on a second. If they knew, if they, they knew it's not biblical, then why were they doing it? 
These were people who were discipling me. These were people who were helping me grow as a Christian. And here's something that was happening every week. And now they've come to the conclusion that it's okay for a woman to pray in church. The next step was, what about a woman preaching in church? I don't know about you guys, but we've got a woman preacher in our church. And she's better than most guys I know. Anyway, that was the first question. The second question came to my mind was, what else is happening in this church that's not biblical as well, that we treat as though it's biblical? What else is happening in this church that we assume is biblical, that we assume it's right there, but it's actually not? And then the third question that came into my mind had nothing to do with the first two, but the response of these three families that were so hard on this rule that they forgot the one commandment or the second commandment God given them. What did Jesus command us to do? Love God, love one another. And this rule had trumped love one another. And as a young Christian, I'm sitting there again, scratching my head thinking, that that doesn't work. What's going on here? Is it just me? Am I the only one that's seeing this? And you know, I'll be honest with you, over the years, there's been about, well, in the last 12 years, about five churches we've been a part of. And these are the questions that still are in my head. They're still there. What is church? What is church? The church has been dogged for years now, the last 20 to 40 years. We've been dogged with real serious questions And I'll tell you, we've changed our stance on those. The gender issue. 40 years ago, you would not have gotten a woman preacher at the front of a Baptist church. Is that true or not? That's changed. I'm being cheeky now. But you know one, just one of the reasons why we've changed the name elders to board? Does anyone know? Because some people had issues with a woman being an elder. That was one of the issues. There's other issues as well. It's not that simple. But that was one of the issues. So let's call it board. Board that doesn't exist in the Bible, by the way. Nowhere in the Bible have you ever heard of a group called the board. They didn't play music. They didn't lead a church. They weren't a rock band of any sort. And we call it the board. Sorry. But if we want to be biblical, let's get things straight. Okay, gender issues have changed, haven't they? Some of our best ministry leaders are women. And praise God for that. Amen? Some of our best prayer warriors in this church are women. Some of our best leaders in this church are women. 40 years ago, that wouldn't have existed. But we've changed. Does that mean 40 years ago, we weren't reading the Bible right? I'm not going to answer that one. Here's a few other issues that have really come up in the last few years. You know, when I first became a Christian, no one in the church was divorced. No one. Back then, not only was it frowned upon, it just didn't happen. And then over the years, we started to realize it's not just adultery. 
There's abuse. There are other things. We start to be a little bit more human when we come towards problems instead of rule-led. And we experience it personally when our, our children or our parents or our family members or our friends go through that and we see the pain of divorce and all of a sudden it's not so black and white anymore, hey? That's changed over the years. Sex. 40 years ago, would you have heard a sermon on sex? Today I can give you a plethora of books, Christian books, on the subject. And we will talk about it. Back in the day, no one talked about adultery. Every church I've been in has been cases of adultery now. Sex is an issue. And we're trying to deal with it. We're more open about it. The emerging church. Oh, some of us think that's evil. And there's a lot of people in this world who thinks the emerging church is evil. I, I, I honestly do struggle with it. My, my, my lecturer, my, my college supervisor, a guy named Michael Frost, considered by many the father of the emerging church. Our previous pastor here, Steve Taylor is world-renowned as an emerging church leader. The emerging church has done one fantastic, absolutely awesome thing, and that's challenged the church where it's at. They've packaged everything up and said, hey, you know what? We're not looking at just issues anymore. We're looking endemically as a church. Is it biblically based? That's a fair enough question. Homosexuality now is a big issue. We're facing it as a denomination. I'm facing it as a pastor. And it's not that easy. I believe to be pretty smart when it comes to the Bible. I think I know what's right and wrong. But it's not that easy. We can't shove off issues, throw them away, and just say, this is right and this is wrong. There's only one thing that's right, and that is Jesus Christ. We are not called to change people. Only the Holy Spirit does that. We are called to love people. One of the biggest problems of years past with Christianity is that we've taken it upon ourselves to change people. When that's not our job. That's not our job. Many theologians are starting to write some pretty horrid things about the church. We are living in an age hopelessly below the New Testament pattern, content with a neat little religion. Most professing Christians do not realize that the central concepts and practices associated with what we call church are not rooted in the New Testament. And J.B. Phillips, the great difference between present-day Christianity and that of which we read in the New Testament is that to us it is primarily a performance. To them it was a real experience. We are apt to reduce the Christian religion to a code or at best a rule of heart and life. To the early church, it was quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life altogether. But that still doesn't answer my questions. 
Mark 7, Jesus really hammers the Pharisees. He says this, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. But what is church? I'm still left with that question. What is church? Now, in saying all of that, I think I'm part of a pretty cool place. I think I'm part of a very special group of people that, to be perfectly honest with you, people question me about coming here. And I now laugh at them. Because I know who I'm a part of. And I thank God every day for that. But I'm still dogged by the question, what is church? By the way, it doesn't mean you don't drive me crazy. I'm sure I drive you all crazy too. But we have a key factor in that, and it's called love. And we do it well. And sometimes we mess it up. But hey, we're human. So I thought of writing this huge, long sermon about what is church, and then I stopped And I thought, you know what? I want to ask you guys, what is church? What is church for you guys? And I want to hear it from you. What is church? Who's going to speak up? Body of Christ. Christ. That's an awesome one. But what does that mean? How do we exhibit that? In different bits? Different body parts? Functions? Love? Love, service? What's fellowship? Meeting together? Sharing life together is beautiful. Sorry? Balance? Yeah? What was said over here? Teaching and learning. Oh, yeah. Encouraging, yep. Come on, let's hear some stuff from you all. What else is it about church? What is church? Is it what we do on a Sunday? I've got a no over here. It's a gathering that worships God. But is church just Sunday? Should be a way of life, yep, way of life. Church is family, community. What do you mean by community? So church is reaching out. So who says church is Sunday? Is anyone that... So we all agree that church is not Sunday? It's part of it. But it's not Holy Sunday, right? Does it warrant 50% of our time? Does it warrant 30% of our time? Does it warrant one-seventh of our time? Is that... I'm just asking, so please speak up. Don't, don't, don't worry about... I'm not here to correct you. I honestly want to hear what your guys' thoughts are on church. 
Is it convenience? On one day. Well, I, I believe it's biblical. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us we should be coming together, all together. I think because of the way life is structured for us today, it can only really happen once a week, but we do also meet. Who meets at home with other, other Christians, other believers, that we continue what we do on a Sunday throughout the week? So what's the primary source of Sunday then? What's its function? Rest? <laughs> Teaching again, I'm hearing. What else? What, what's the purpose of Sunday? What, what do we go to Sunday church? Worship? Meeting together. It's really the only time we actually all come together, right? Isn't it? I mean, sometimes I don't see you guys during the week. And the only time we all see each other is on a Sunday, which is why we spend a lot of time trying to talk to each other, isn't it? You know, if I let you guys go at the beginning of the service, you know, go talk to somebody, you guys could be here all day, right? That's part of worship, right? But there is also that element of worship. You know what? One thing I struggle with when it comes to church is that we try to tailor churches... Well, let me... We try to tailor Sunday services to non-Christians. I'm not sure that's right. I'm not sure that's right. I think, I think there has to be an element to that, but it's for us to be recharged, regrouped, reconditioned, rechallenged, taught and walk out of here again feeling that God has empowered us to go out and do His work. Amen? Amen? That's why we put a lot of effort and time in the Sundays. Now, that doesn't stop us from meeting during the week. Steve didn't have a bad idea when it came to multi-congregational churches. Okay? When we meet at different times, we've got a hymn service that speaks to people in a way that, that reaches them. We have an espresso group that's changed now, and I'll tell you that in a week's time. We've got a grow group for our youth. We've got our side door for people who just need a little bit more sensory input. We've got grow that, uh, sorry, uh, soak that's a little bit more reflective. These are ways of us connecting with God in different ways. But it doesn't take away from what we do on a Sunday. So why is Sunday important? Why is what we do here on Sunday so important? I love that. Priority. Anyone have anything to say on that? Sorry? It's what we do. Yep. How we do it. Yep. It's kind of like the... the, the the glue. Yep. We're told to keep the Sabbath holy. We're told to keep the Sabbath holy. Yep. We need to recognize that Christ is the head. Yep. 
an opportunity to bring our offerings. That word, opportunity, I love that. So what is church? We've talked a bit about Sunday. But what is church? Can you say that again? Louder though. Being part of a group of people who know how to forgive, who know how to love. Okay. Who care about one another. It's interesting that, that God gives us these commandments just to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So, what does that mean? Make Him first in your life, right? You with me? Make him first in your life. So that means if he tells us to jump, what do we do? We jump. So if he tells us, I want you to do this, what do we do? We do this, right? That, God's number one. He, he, sets the lay, he lays the foundation to say, who is number one in your life? You know what? It's not your kids. You know what? It's not your wife or your husband. It's not your job. Number one is me, God. Not me, Rob. God. Okay? He's number one. Has to be. And you know how that challenges us? Okay, let me tell you how that challenges us. How much effort do you put into your house? Your job? Your kids? And compare that to how much effort you put into building your relationship with God. I have the same response from parents all the time. Oh, Rob, I've got a responsibility. I've got this. I tell him every time. Youth pastor for 10 years, I can tell you this right off the top of my head without even thinking twice. If your kids know that you are putting effort into God in a godly way, not in a possessive way, that's why pastor's kids usually suffer. Except my kids. They're cool. But pastor's kids suffer because they put the job, not God, above everything but when your kids see that you're acting in a godly way in a god-honoring way believe me that's better than teaching them anything it's better than any kind of math science it's better than any doctorate they can get it's better than anything they can have and that's the example if we put god first in our lives and the second thing he teaches us is what god is love love one another right so we need to start rethinking how we interact with each other. What does that love mean? Because I can talk to several people and they'll give me several different answers on love. So what is love? Forgive, yep. Being a Christian, forgiveness has to be one of the core elements of who we are. Because you'd be a hypocrite to say, I have a hard time forgiving when the God of the universe has forgiven you. It is a core element of who we are. I'm not saying it's easy, believe me. It's not easy. And loving one another is not easy either. Forgiveness, what else? What else does it mean to love one another? Putting somebody else before yourself. Being a servant. What else? Discipline. Discipline? Yeah. 
Yeah, do you're looking at me and you think he ain't got much discipline, does he? Trisha's not here because she'll give me a hard time because I'm talking about my weight, huh? Sorry? Letting go of self. Again, putting yourself in that secondary position, not the front position. See, the problem we had in our first church, that church in Rome, was these three families had put me before we. The we was not important to them, it was the me. And so what we're going to be learning a lot about over the course of the next few weeks is what does that mean to be we? Why do we have communion? We had communion this morning. What's the point of that? Why do we do that? And I can tell you, there are a lot of Christians that don't really understand it. Or we take it for granted. Why, why do we have baptism? What, why do we, what's giving mean? What's tithing mean? What, what does it mean to be a member of a church? What, what does commitment mean? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? I mean, these are things that we take for granted a lot. And we're going we're gonna to do that, hopefully more interactively. Because you know what? The way we do church is not the way the early church did church. It was never one person up the front talking to a whole bunch of people. It was a whole bunch of people interacting with one another, with a teacher that led them. That was how the early church worked. And you know, back then, cities bigger than Christchurch only had one Christian church. The letters to the Romans was just one group of Christians in a city of over a million people. It was one church. The letter to the Corinthians was a letter to just one church. And we need to rediscover what it means to be united under God's banner, working together, whether we're Baptists or all these different types of denominations. We might do things a little differently, but instead of spending time trying to figure out... or, or I did a class at college that taught us all the wrongs of the other denominations. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And I thought to myself, well, back then I didn't think it, but, but today I think, what a waste of time. I don't want to talk about what we're against, we want to talk about what we're for. Which is why the homosexual issue is a big one. How do we face that? How do we do that in a God-honoring way? Still knowing that God has called us to love people. And frankly, no sin is greater than the other. How do you do that? I'm, I'm pretty strong in my views. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I hide them. And, and I, I have a tendency to hurt people when I do that. Sometimes it's for good and other times it's not. It's not wrong to have strong views. It is wrong if we're hurting people in doing it. And so we're going to learn what it means to be we. And we're going to learn what it means to be us. And we're going to learn what is church. You with me on that? We're going to have a barbecue after church. If you brought nothing, don't worry. I think we have a ton of sausages. Just stick around for fellowship. Have a bite to eat. Don't worry if, again, you didn't bring anything. The whole purpose of what we do together is that word, together, right? Let's stand and worship as we close.